Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Prologue, Part 4 Of the Finding of the Ring As told in The Hobbit, there came one day to Bilbo's door the great wizard, Gandalf the Grey, and thirteen dwarves with him, none other, indeed, than Thorin Oakenshield, descendant of kings, and his twelve companions in exile. With them he set out, to his own lasting astonishment, on a morning of April, it being then the year 1341 Shire Reckoning, on a quest of great treasure, the dwarf hordes of the kings under the mountain, beneath Erebor and Dale, far off in the east. The quest was successful, and the dragon that guarded the horde was destroyed. Yet, though before all was won, the battle of five armies was fought, and Thorin was slain, and many deeds of renown were done. The matter would scarcely have concerned later history, or earned more than a note in the long annals of the Third Age, but for an accident, by the way. The party was assailed by orcs in a high past of the Misty Mountains, as they went towards Wilderland. And so it happened that Bilbo was lost for a while in the black orc mines deep under the mountains. And there, as he groped in vain in the dark, he put his hand on a ring, lying on the floor of a tunnel. He put it in his pocket. It seemed then like mere luck. Trying to find his way out, Bilbo went on down to the roots of the mountains, until he could go no further. At the bottom of the tunnel lay a cold lake, far from the light, and on an island of rock in the water lived Gollum. He was a loathsome little creature. He paddled a small boat with his large, flat feet, peering with pale, luminous eyes and catching blind fish with his long fingers and eating them raw. He ate all living thing, even orc, if he could catch it and strangle it without a struggle. He possessed a secret treasure that had come to him long ages ago, when he still lived in the light, a ring of gold that made its wearer invisible. It was the one thing he loved, his precious, and he talked to it even when it was not with him. For he kept it hidden safe in a hole on his island, except when he was hunting or spying on the orcs of the mines. Maybe he would have attacked Bilbo at once, if the ring had been on him when they met. But it was not, and the hobbit held in his hand an elvish knife, which served him as a sword. So, to gain time, Gollum challenged Bilbo to the riddle game, saying that if he asked a riddle which Bilbo could not guess, then he would kill him and eat him. But if Bilbo defeated him, then he would do as Bilbo wished, and he would lead him to a way out of the tunnels. Since he was lost in the dark without hope and could neither go on nor go back, Bilbo accepted the challenge, and they asked one another many riddles. In the end, Bilbo won the game more by luck, as it seemed, than by wits. For he was stumped at last for a riddle to ask, and cried out as his hand came upon the ring he had picked up and forgotten. What have I got in my pocket? This Gollum failed to answer, though he demanded three guesses. The authorities, it is true, differ whether this last question was a mere question and not a riddle, according to the strict rules of the game. But all agree that, after accepting it and trying to guess the answer, Gollum was bound by his promise. And Bilbo pressed him to keep his word, for the thought came to him that this slimy creature, 
might prove false, even though such promises were held sacred, and of old all but the wickedest things feared to break them. But after ages alone in the dark, Gollum's heart was black, and treachery was in it. He slipped away and returned to his island, of which Bilbo knew nothing, not far off in the dark water. There, he thought, lay his ring. He was hungry now and angry, and once his precious was with him, he would not fear any weapon at all. But the ring was not on the island. He had lost it. It was gone. His screech sent a shiver down Bilbo's back, though he did not yet understand what had happened. But Gollum had at last leaped to a guess, too late. What has it got in its pockets? he cried. The light in his eyes was like a green flame as he sped back to murder the hobbit and recover his precious. Just in time, Bilbo saw his peril, and he fled blindly up the passage away from the water. And once more, he was saved by his luck. For as he ran, he put his hand in his pocket, and the ring slipped quietly onto his finger. So it was that Gollum passed him without seeing him, and went to guard the way out, lest the thief should escape. Warily, Bilbo followed him as he went along, pursing and talking to himself about his precious, from which talk at last even Bilbo guessed the truth, and hope came to him in the darkness. He himself had found the marvelous ring and a chance of escape from the orcs and from Gollum. At length they came to a halt before an unseen opening that led to the lower gates of the mines, on the eastward side of the mountains. There Gollum crouched at bay, smelling and listening. And Bilbo was tempted to slay him with his sword, but pity stayed him, and though he kept the ring in which his only hope lay, he would not use it to help him kill the wretched creature at a disadvantage. In the end, gathering his courage, he leaped over Gollum in the dark and fled away down the passage, pursued by his enemy's cries of hate and despair. Thief! Thief! Baggins! We hate it forever! Now, it is a curious fact that this is not the story as Bilbo first told it to his companions. To them, his account was that Gollum had promised to give him a present if he won the game. But when Gollum went to fetch it from his island, he found the treasure was gone. A magic ring. A magic ring, which had been given to him long ago on his birthday. Bilbo guessed that this was the very ring that he had found, and as he had won the game, it was already his by right. But being in a tight place, he said nothing about it, and made Gollum show him the way out, as a reward instead of a present. This account Bilbo set down in his memoirs, and he seems never to have altered it himself, not even after the Council of Elrond. Evidently, it still appeared in the original Red Book, as it did in several of the copies and abstracts, but many copies contain the true account as an alternative, derived no doubt from the notes by Frodo or Samwise, both of whom learned the truth, though they seem to have been unwilling to delete anything actually written by the old hobbit himself. Gandalf, however, disbelieved Bilbo's first story as soon as he heard it, and he continued to be very curious about the ring. Eventually, he got the true tale out of Bilbo after much questioning, which for a while strained their friendship. But the wizard seemed to think the truth important, 
though he did not say so to Bilbo, he also thought it important and disturbing to find that the good hobbit had not told the truth from the first, quite contrary to his habit. The idea of a present was not mere hobbit-like invention, all the same. It was suggested to Bilbo, as he confessed, by Gollum's talk that he overheard. For Gollum did, in fact, call the ring his birthday present many times. That also Gandalf thought strange and suspicious, but he did not discover the truth in this point for many more years, as will be seen in this book. Of Bilbo's later adventures, little more need be said here. With the help of the ring, he escaped from the orc guards at the gate and rejoined his companions. He used the ring many times on his quest, chiefly for the help of his friends, but he kept it secret from them as long as he could. After his return to his home, he never spoke of it again to anyone, save Gandalf and Frodo, and no one else in the Shire knew of its existence, or so he believed. Only to Frodo did he show the account of his journey that he was writing. His sword and sting, Bilbo hung over his fireplace, and his coat of marvelous mail, the gift of the dwarfs from the dragon horde, he lent to a museum, to the Mikkel Delving's Matham House, in fact. But he kept in a drawer, at bag end, the old cloak and hood that he had worn on his travels, and the ring, secured by a fine chain, remained in his pocket. He returned to his home at Bag End on June the 22nd in his 52nd year, Shire Reckoning 1342. And nothing very notable occurred in the Shire until Mr. Baggins began the preparations for the celebration of his 111th birthday, Shire Reckoning 1401. At this point, this history begins. Note on the Shire Records At the end of the Third Age, the part played by the hobbits in the great events that led to the inclusion of the Shire in the reunited kingdom awakened among them a more widespread interest in their own history. And many of their traditions, up to that time still mainly oral, were collected and written down. The greater families were also concerned with events in the kingdom at large, and many of their members studied its ancient histories and legends. By the end of the first century of the Fourth Age, there were already to be found in the Shire several libraries that contained many historical books and records. The largest of these collections were probably at Undertowers, at Great Smiles, and at Brandy Hall. This account of the end of the Third Age is drawn mainly from the Red Book of Westmarch. That most important source for the history of the War of the Ring was so called because it was long preserved at Undertowers, the home of the Fair Barons, Wardens of the Westmarch. It was in origin Bilbo's private diary, which he took with him to Rivendell. Frodo brought it back to the Shire, together with many loose leaves of notes, and during Shire Reckoning 1420, he nearly filled its pages with his account of the war but annexed it and preserved with it, probably in a single red case, were the three large volumes bound in red leather that Bilbo gave to him as a parting gift. To these four volumes, there was added in Westmarch a fifth containing commentaries, genealogies, and various other matter concerning the Hobbit members of the Fellowship. 
The original red book has not been preserved, but many copies were made, especially of the first volume, for the use of the descendants of the children of Master Samwise. The most important copy, however, has a different history. It was kept at great smiles, but it was written in Gondor, probably at the request of the great-grandson of Peregrine, and completed in Shire Reckoning 1592. Its southern scribe appended this note. Fingil, King's writer, finished this work in 5172. It is an extract copy in all details of the Thane's book in Minas Tirith. That book was a copy made at the request of King Elisar of the Red Book of the Periumph, and was brought to him by the Thane Peregrine when he retired to Gondor in 564. The Thane's book was thus the first copy made of the Red Book, and contained much that was later omitted or lost. In Minas Theris, it received much annotation and many corrections, especially of names, words, and quotations in the Elvish languages. And there was added to it an abbreviated version of these parts, of the tale of Aragorn and Erowyn, which lie outside the account of the war. The full tale is stated to have been written by Beriar, grandson of the steward Faramir, some time after the passing of the king. But the chief importance of Fendigil's copy is that it alone contains the whole of Bilbo's translations from the Elvish. These three volumes were found to be a work of great skill and learning, in which, between 1403 and 1418, he had used all the sources available to him in Rivendell, both living and written. But since they were little used by Frodo, being almost entirely concerned with the Elder Days, no more is said of them here. Since Miradoc and Peregrine became the heads of their great families, and at the same time kept up their connections with Rowan and Gondor, the libraries of Bucklebury and Tuckborough contained much that did not appear in the Red Book. In Brandy Hall there were many works dealing with Iridor and the history of Rowan. Some of these were composed or begun by Meredith himself though in the Shire he was chiefly remembered for his Hirblor of the Shire and for his Reckoning of Years, in which he discussed the relations of the calendars of the Shire and Bree to those of Rivendell, Gondor, and Rohan. He also wrote a short treatise on old words and names in the Shire, showing special interest in discovering the kinship with the language of Rohirrim of such Shire words as Nathan, and old elements and place names. At Great Smiles, the books were of less interest to Shire folk, though more important for larger history. None of them was written by Peregrine, but he and his successors collected many manuscripts written by scribes of Gondor, mainly copies or summaries of histories or legends related to Elendil and his heirs. Only here in the Shire were to be found extensive materials for the history of Numenor and the arising of Sauron. It was probable at great smiles that the tale of years was put together with the assistance of material collected by Meriadoc. Though the dates given are often conjectural, especially for the Second Age, they deserve attention. 
It is probable that Meredith obtained assistance and information from Rivendell, which he visited more than once. There, though Elrond had departed, his sons long remained, together with some of the High Elf folk. It is said that Selborne went to dwell there after the departure of Galadriel, but there is no record of the day when at last he sought the Grey Havens, and with him went the last living memory of the Elder Days in Middle-earth.